Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. Hey now, it's the Mike and JD Show, and I'm your host, Mike Gilbert, and I'm joined this week by a very special guest. He comes to us from SE Scoops. He's a BJ Bethel, friend of the show. BJ's been on a few times. Uh, JD is on assignment, so uh, what's going on, J uh, BJ? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored to replace JD, I'm guessing, because I was the uh, only two-initial, two-letter word first guy you could come up with, but... Uh, yeah, I'll try to fill his shoes as best as I can. <laughs> yeah, uh, all you have to do is just get really grumpy and salty, and then I think uh, you got most of it oh, down. I got that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't figure that'd be a problem for you. Um, <laughs> Proceeds <laughs> me. All right. <laughs> so how how's your week been, man? We haven't talked in a while. So what's been going on in BJ World? Oh, um, well, I, me and my daughter, we watched uh, Dynamite last night. I thought it was a very good show. Um very sports entertaining, I would put, um, in a good way. I yeah. thought, you know, they really balanced some things well. Um, I thought it was a really good show. I thought that uh, Blood and Guts as a match overall, I thought, kind of let me down a little bit. I was looking for maybe a better quality match, but I thought the story it told throughout the match, where they got to the end, I thought was very, very good. I thought it was a great way to how they put the feud and everything else. And I mean, the Elite and those guys and, uh, you know, in the Blackpool guys, they put a lot of thought into what they're doing there really into this and um i think you know that showed and just how everything in the end came together and um you know i thought it was a really good show and um it's been a really good time for wrestling right now there's a lot of good stuff going on in the business so it's uh, been exciting yeah yeah you know i i really enjoyed it too i did see some complaints about the finish about Pac walking out and Takeshita ended up walking out. People are saying that, you know, Pac walked out. And once he walks out of the cage, that should have been the finish, which I like people like earlier in the match, Wheeler Yuta left the cage and went and tacked uh, one of the, one of the young buck number two. I can't remember which one it was, but um, he, he like, he like left the cage. So like people have left the cage forever in these cage matches. That's never been a precedent. So I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't agree with that. If if I had a, I, I really liked Pac walking out because it sets up Pac versus Claudio. Pac's yeah. always been kind of a wild card. He's been kind of an angry, grumpy it, guy. It, it, his whole personality, I thought. Yeah. I, I mean, and it puts together this fantastic dream match that I can't wait to see for the ROH World Title. And as far as I'm concerned, Pac's the MVP of AEW. He's been the he's been that guy since the company started for them. He was at the first press conference. He's he's wrestled tag teams. He's wrestled, you know, uh, internationally. He's done everything. He's done all the dirt. He's like Chris Jericho was in WWE for so many years, where he's a guy you can go anywhere in the card at any moment and do what you want to do. And mm -hmm. me, he's just, you know, I can't, I just such a big fan of his. And, you know, I'm just, I mean, the fact that we, you know, I don't, I don't get the, I don't get the criticism of the finish, but, you know, I'm just excited to see Claudio and Pac. It's just an amazing match we're going to get out of that. 
Yeah, I you know I I watched it and I didn't really get the criticism either. I get you know sometimes when you do something that's never really been done in one of those matches, some people are just naturally not going to like it because it's not what they grew up watching. Like like oh well that's never happened before, so I don't like it. So um, I I thought it made a ton of sense. Um, oh, yeah. and Claudio not not getting along, and and then Takeshita ends up leaving him because you know Don Callis is kind of a chicken, and so he pulls his guy out because the match is way too violent. And and then the BCC gets beat down by the elite. They they submit, and then the BCC turns babyface when it's all said and done. Like if you think about it, and then of course they show oh, yeah, like after cameras are after cameras are off the air, they actually ended up shaking hands. So I'm just like, um, I I think they definitely did turn babyface there. And I so I'm like, you have all these different little sub stories that come out of that match. The match quality was great. Lots of cool moves. Lots of crazy stuff. Lots of drama. If I had, if there was one thing that I didn't like that they, I don't like the broken glass that, that for me broke. And I didn't really like the bed of nails. Cause you know, I think Brian Alvarez said it on his show. As soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, that's, that's the old carnival trick. Like that doesn't actually do anything to you unless you're Kenny Omega. And then he accidentally like gets his leg sliced by accident. But when you slam somebody on the nails, cause they're so close together, it doesn't actually do anything. It's just more visually. Uh, so yeah. I'm not a fan of the bed of nails. I'm not a fan of the broken glass. Um, but that didn't really deter me from thinking it was one of my favorite matches of the year. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I should say I, I really I did enjoy the match quite a bit. I think as far as like my expectations for it, I'm not into the hardcore stuff as much as other people. That's a big reason why. But I thought storyline-wise, I thought it was great. I, I've seen complaints that they, people thought it was too complicated. You know, Pax reasons for leaving and then, you know, all this other stuff that kind of intertwined. And, you know, he got, you know, Mox looking out for Yuta, you know, and having to make mm -hmm. the throw in the towel. You know, it was like that Rocky Four moment. Um, and um, it, to me, it was just, I mean, I don't get that because it's like the people who are saying those kind of things are the same people that love the bloodline storyline. And that's something that's extremely complicated. You can't jump into that just in a week by week basis. You got to been in there since the beginning or at least been able to backtrack and watch it. And to me, it's just, it's not fair criticism of the match. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... the greatest thing was the storyline. It's like, it tells all these huge things. You got the Obushi and Omega and the bucks together for the first time since, you know, 2018, you got, um, all this amazing, all this amazing stuff happening in there. You got, you know, it's the storylines. You got Takeshi and Callis, their own little story. Everybody worked in there really great. Pack comes out kind of a baby face where he's just like, you know, you know, I don't like you guys. You know, I'm leaving. And he's kind of always, like you said, he's the wild card. Everybody, everybody's played to their story. And I, I think those little things, it's the, it's the things that get in the back of your mind. You don't really notice. And then they come together in one place. And it, to me, it really hit all the marks in that point which is the storyline wise. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was very remarkably told and it, and, and a lot of the stuff, the elites involved in it's, it's really, really tight and told. Well, um, there's, yeah. it, comes, it makes sense once you get to the end of it. And to me, that's what that match meant. And at the ending was everything made, made a lot of sense and it was really good. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I'm like, I'm trying to understand like a good reason for someone to criticize and I just, I'm just not seeing it. And maybe it's just one of those things where I just, cause like, I don't, I watch wrestling critically. I really do. Um, and so I, I watched this match critically and coming away from it. I was just like, I just don't see the criticism here. I thought this whole thing was awesome. It was a ton of fun. Um, I always liked the blood and guts matches. Um, in, I, you know, some, I did see somebody on, uh, I think it was Brian Solomon on Twitter saying, um, this is rich coming from him, by the way, the guy that wrote the Sheik book, right. A huge fan of the Sheik, um, saying he didn't like the fact that weapons are being introduced into the match. And was like, brother, uh, cause it, cause again, because he, he grew up First with war games. Work, Sheik. Okay. Yeah. Well, cause he grew up with war games and they didn't do that in war games, but this is blood and guts, right? This is it's that it's war games, but with the weapons, right? It's like, it's TNA had TNA had their lethal lockdown, right? Where the, the cage would close and then they had the weapons around the cage. Well, this match, the weapons are allowed the entire time, right? And they have the two rings, unlike lethal lockdown. So they've taken the concept, they've made it their own. 
and it's essentially a team style death match is a bit strong but it's it, blood and guts I, I i can't describe it other than that and i I, I, I thought that everything they did fit the match i mean i'm not a huge fan of hardcore matches i thought it had a little too much hardcore for my taste but there were some great moments and some really good wrestling in it um i mean obviously koto Ibushi's still rusty from you know his you know I'm, i don't know if he's ever going to recover from the shoulder injury he's had but yeah. um uh but but to me, I thought it did everything well. I thought I, the one thing that was really just impressive to me was the spot with Pac and Omega on the table with this double stomp coming off the top of the cage yeah. and the hanging off of it. And just the strength it takes, the focus, and the trust you got to have. Um, to me, that was probably the most impressive cage spot I've ever seen. Maybe maybe since my favorite, my, the, my favorite cage spot, the one I always thought was the most impressive, and I tweeted this last night, was, uh, was Steve Williams in one of the War Games matches, you know, pressed uh terry gordy 10 times into the top of the war mm-hmm. game like back in 88 or 89 um so i've never seen anything like that um i mean gordy was well over 300 pounds it was just one of the most amazing physical things i've ever seen i last night pack top topped it you know being able to climb climb over like that land that move like he did just so well and um and trust omega's gotta have with you know but this guy coming down 200 pounds and all from the top of this cage down on his, with his feet, you know, I thought that was really remarkable. And then I thought the ending was just really well told. Um, it was mm-hmm. just very, very, I think camera work could have been a lot better in some areas of it, but I thought it was just a very, very well told story to end the match. Yeah. Um, and one other critique I had, uh, Kota Ibushi was, I, as much as I love him, he was very rusty. He seemed like he was real out of shape. Like, um, compared to what he normally is, he didn't really have like the snap on his moves. Like he would hit a move and then he would just kind of lay down for a while. Like, like he wasn't, I don't know what he was selling, but it, uh, it just seemed like he was selling his own offense. Um, it, it was just, it was just a really weird thing. And he just didn't, he didn't look like the old Kota Bushi. He looked like Kota Bushi That's old to me. Um, and I'm hoping he gets more ring time. It comes back and he's the, the guy that we all know and love, but yeah, he didn't look like he had it last night. From what I understand is he he wrestled two matches over – I mean, he was out over a year in New Japan, and that was a period where he had his issues with management. And um, basically they did him really wrong. He ends up just staying out. They wanted him to have surgery. He didn't have it. He recovered well enough. He came over for blood sport during Mania weekend, and he re-injured his shoulder. And it looks like he just hasn't been able to keep up with much. Um I don't. I know he's talked about coming to AEW for months, and um, it's like you see what this guy's body of work is. He's over forty now. I think he's forty-one, and you know he still looks great. You know he's got a lot of muscle. Yeah. He was so rusty. There was one point where he was just, you know, he did look like he hadn't worked on a really long time, and he was being very careful with that left arm, and he was also. Um, you know, it was one time I think he, he actually tagged Mox in the face with a boot. Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> like he couldn't, he was like trying to measure his shots a little bit. He wasn't very crisp. You could tell that there just had been a lot of time had passed since he'd been in the ring. And, um, and he wasn't in the shape you're usually expecting him in. Usually he's, you know, he's this guy, he's just phenomenally cut. And, you know, he wasn't looking that way last night, but hopefully he gets his shoulder and gear because you know he's one of the best if and he's obviously one of the funnest to watch he's definitely one of the most influential guys in the last 15 years and you know i think that uh if he gets healthy and gets ready i think he'd be a great pickup for AEW. i don't think new japan would be very, very happy about that but you know uh i may injure that relationship a little bit but still yeah. I, I don't know how you say no to a koto ibushi especially when you see no. how the fans have greeted him yeah, and it, you know, and it's it puts a damper on that criticism from uh, all the mouth breathers. There's like, you know, what what is bringing in a Japanese guy going to do for ratings and going to do for ticket sales? Well, uh, brothers, whenever that man came out there in Boston, which he like very likely Kotobushi's never even been to Boston, the Boston crowd exploded when he came out there. Like he is very much known to this audience, and that's what that's what's important. He is known to this hardcore AEW audience, and those are the ones that are fueling the ship, right? That are buying all the pay-per-views, that are spending all the money to go to these shows. 
um, he will absolutely work for this AEW audience. And yeah, if they have an opportunity to pick him up, I hope they do. The thing is, it's like criticisms almost always from the WWE fan side. And I don't understand that because, you know, they, they sold a whole NXT show out in an arena, you know, years ago with Shinsuke Nakamura's first appearance promoted Mm -hmm. Sami Zayn. It's like, I, I don't understand why people. It's like this isn't the same. This isn't the eight nineteen eighties or the nineteen nineties anymore. The world's a lot smaller. I mean, you go on YouTube, you can see wrestlers that you know and from places on the earth that you never would have seen before. And um, you don't have to just be a crazy tape tater, tape trader or you know uh, reading the Observer every week to see these guys. I mean, you, you can just go on your Twitter feed and see them. So mm-hmm. it, that it's just. I think it's just sour grapes and a lot of people's attitudes it's not realistic at all i mean look at the evasions okada's got i mean that's just a, such an old trope and it's yeah. it's unfortunate but you know some people are going to throw it around they don't like it when AEW does well they hit a really good rating last night um and it, it's just people are going to complain about them no matter what and which is fine he's like if you don't like it you know, if it makes miserable people miserable, then that makes me a little bit happy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so after blood and guts was over, after AEW went off the air and before rampage started the tape, um, the elite and the BCC, they shook hands. So this was like only in front of the live crowd, they shook hands and hug and whatever. Seems like that beef has been squashed, which I like the way they did it. And then after that, Kenny Omega took the mic and he was thanking the audience and yada, yada, yada. And then he said something very interesting, and I want to get your take on this. He said that uh, he made it very clear that he will follow the Young Bucks and the Elite wherever they go next. Um, He said it was something to that effect. There's an actual transcript out there. I apologize. I didn't actually have the full transcript in front of me, but it was something to that effect. Um, And it made me think that he is teasing a potential Elite leaving AEW. I think it's a possibility. A lot of people, I mean, everyone and everybody's seen in, in the wrestling media is reported that they f- believe the elite's going to extend their contracts there. I think it's probably more likely since Vince McMahon came back. But at the same time, I also believe that, you know, issues they've had with the company, issues they've had with, you know, online and social media, also, uh, this huge payday they could potentially get from WWE is going to maybe sway them a little bit. I don't, I've been a little bit more skeptical that they'll resign just because I think at some point they're going to see the money from WWE. And I don't think Tony values them like he did. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's the right attitude to have. Um, Yeah. CM Punk's great, but you know, he's, he's on borrowed time. Um, you know, and I mean, and you can say the same thing about Omega and the Bucks, but they have, they're a little bit younger, you know, and they have an established track record of being able to contribute outside of just being, you know, guys in the ring and on the microphone. And, and they're just the band, the brand of the whole company's based on them. And I think that would just be a gigantic mistake. I think it'd be a nearly fatal mistake for uh, Tony Khan to do that, to let them get away. But I think, I, I don't know. I've what I've been told is that I I don't know if they've signed or extended yet. It's been real quiet. Mm. These kind of things tend to be that way when Tony Khan's dealing with them. Mm. But um, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they left. It wouldn't surprise me if they stayed. I, I honestly think the better chances for them staying just because I don't think they would want to work for Vince McMahon at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I I think I I've been kind of like fifty fifty, but I. That's and that might become sound like a cop out. So I'm gonna say 51 49 that they stay. I think it's more likely, you know, I think it's more likely that they stay. However, I think since the CM Punk drama started um, last year, and since CM Punk has now come back, um, he's back into the fold, he's doing his stuff on collision. I think it's only a matter of time before you start seeing CM Punk more often on dynamite. I just get the feeling because that. You know, that sat like Turner's going to want their top star, and he is their top star, by the way. Turner's going to want their most popular guy on their more popular program to drive those numbers up. I, I just get the feeling that's what's going to happen eventually. Um, I, 
I think it makes sense for them. Like now would be the time to go. The unfortunate part, and this is actually a good thing. Um, and Dave talked about this on his show. Um, and we've been covering the MLW lawsuit of WWE. That lawsuit is kind of preventing them from being able to talk to WWE like they would have in the past, which it would have been illegal in the past too. But they like they don't really know what right. they're getting into. So I, I'm thinking they need to at least, if I were them, I unless they get like this blowaway offer that they can't refuse from AEW, I would at least let the deals run out so that way you can even talk to the other side just to see what they got going on, right? I, 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 I and I athletes do it all the time in legitimate sports, right? Like they they will wait for their contract to expire and then they'll hit that free agency period and they kind of will have like they'll know what their range is and then once they figure out like exactly what they're worth. And then at that point, then they start really hard negotiating with teams. Um, And, you know, and then a lot of times they go back to their original team, but they still want to play the field. I think that's what these guys need to do because I feel like they're super, super valuable to AEW. But if WWE gets them, that is a huge blow to the competition. That, That would be like getting your other teams, like starting quarterback and like their top middle linebacker, you know, and a couple of offensive linemen from their team and putting them onto your team. And now you got to play each other twice a year in the division, right? Like I, that, that is such a huge deal to me. Um, they're, they might not be the biggest draws in AEW, but they're the lifeblood of that company. Like there yeah. is no company without these guys. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's hugely impo- important for AEW to resign them. But I do know that Tony Khan, if you had to pick between punk and the elite, he's going with punk. I know that. Yeah, and that's a mistake on his part, but um, I mean, pay-per-view buys-wise, you know, Punk is definitely the guy who kind of elevated them as far as pay-per-view buys go. Um, but also, I think that people kind of underestimate what draws the elite are. Um, yeah. I think if you look at what they've been able to do, even since the Ring of Honor, New Japan, I mean, they made it possible for New Japan to sell arenas out here. You know, um, Ring of Honor was able to do the biggest crowds in its history here because of those guys. I mean, they were they were big enough. Those four or five guys, along with Cody, were big enough to help you know to get a number two company in the business. They created this whole atmosphere. I don't think you can. That to me is a lot bigger than being a pay per view draw. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, being able to change the atmosphere of the business to me is such a bigger deal than you know just what a, traditional wrestlers have been able to do. Um, and to me, that makes them even more valuable in that in the marketplace. I think also, you know, in a pro WWE look, um, they haven't been there. There's a lot of great matchups for them there. And mm-hmm. I think, right, I think they push this. I mean, I think they'd be dumb not to take this past their contracts expiring and seeing what they can get. Because once their contracts mm-hmm. expire, that's where things get a little bit interesting. Because then, I mean, that's where kind of like with Cody, I don't think he was ever planning to go to WWE. I don't think he was ever planning to leave AEW. I think they were planning on he was going to work it out, or maybe he goes to Hollywood if it gets bad enough. But it was just they just came. They did the uh, old school grit negotiation technique with uh, Cody, which is they just kept giving him more offers. You know mm-hmm. they, uh, you know they just wouldn't say no. They you know they kept come back, and you know he ended up with this remarkable deal, and. If they match something like that, I don't know how you say no to that. Um, look how well it's worked out for Cody. Um, he's got to keep his music, his look. He works. There's a lot of his own creative. Um, he, he's the top baby face in the company. Um, it's worked out remarkably well for him. I don't know how you don't even entertain that. And I'm not a, I'm not a WWE fan either. It's just not the style of wrestling I grew up liking. Um, I can appreciate the product for what it is. But, I mean, I don't know how you say no to that if you're the elite. Um, on the other hand, though, you know, the Vince McMahon's an issue for those guys. I can tell you that. Um, and I know that for certain. I can also say that, you know, this is the company they feel they had a big hand, in, huge hand in being a part of and helping to make exist. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to them. There's a lot of people in that company that are there because of those guys. And I also feel that they feel a certain responsibility to them for that. Yeah. So there's so many people that have jobs in AEW. Be, because not, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm not trying to sound mean, but they got those jobs, not because they were qualified for the jobs, but because they had a relationship with the bucks and with Omega. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, by the way, I mean, I'm all about getting your, network. yeah, I, yeah, it's just networking. It's, it's about getting your boys jobs. And I'm not even saying that those guys are doing bad jobs. 
I'm saying they probably weren't even qualified for the jobs when they got them, but they, they're, they're being kept on and they might be qualified now. They're very likely doing a great job. Like um, one of the young bucks, his wife is like running the merch department, right? Well, like, or a big part of it. And so, well, and, and it's like, probably the most qualified person in the company to be running what she does. I mean, she came into yeah. that position having more experience than Tony Conda than it is in the Booker or anything else. Anna Massey, um, she ran the entire Bullet Club and uh, Elite and the Jacksons, Omegas, all their T-shirt and merch operations out of her own living room. Um, yeah. Her, her operation was insane. Um, she's, she's the, she, you know, she came up with a lot of the ideas for the T-shirts um, I've even had, I even had, I remember back in the day, I even had people tell me that uh, they believed she was maybe the head of the bullet club. <laughs> the <laughs> American guys were, um, you know, the ring of honor side of the guys. And it, it, I mean, it was true. I mean, just, if you look at the, I mean, I know that at one point their merch sales were equal to what they were getting from ring of honor, which I think was a little mm-hmm. over four million a year. That was the biggest contracts ring of honor ever getting out. And they were getting more or, a little they were getting more equal to that on all those years of that contract from the merch sales and a lot of that was because of dana massey but you're right as far as like a lot of the other names that people know about those guys came to those jobs because it's like okay we got we don't know anybody else we don't have it else we're gonna go with the guys we know we're gonna go with guys we know that are smart and yeah they've grown into those positions but that's networking that's the life that's the you know that's the business yeah. And I mean, look at Tony Khan, you know, he wasn't qualified to be a wrestling booker, but you know, he's done a pretty good job of it, you know? Yeah. So sometimes you might, so the word deserve is such a stupid word. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Cause like nobody really deserves certain things in life. Right. Sometimes you just get opportunities, right. Yeah. And you, some, sometimes People, you just look into them. You, Tony Khan's a guy that was born on third base. Right. But yeah. look what he's done with, with what he's been given. Right. And look, and I think that is admirable. Uh, Vince McMahon, also a guy, uh, third base is probably oh. strong. Second base, probably let's say, let's just go ahead and say he was born at second base, running towards third base with his dad <laughs> being a wrestling promoter, right? In the I biggest, think, in the biggest market. I think Vince McMahon was running. I think he was born running towards home when a pass ball went past the catcher. But uh, well, I'm just know. saying his dad, his dad wasn't a billionaire like Tony Khan's dad. So I'm just no. saying, like, but you, you know, like he he probably didn't have the same amount of advantages, but to make it in wrestling business, he had the biggest advantage because he was taking over a company that had been around for, for ages that he was like a third, a third generation uh, promoter. You know what I mean? So, and, 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 I, and look at what he's done with the opportunity that he was given. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I, I think that's okay. And I think that the guys, the guys that got their jobs because they had friends in AEW have seemingly done very good. I'm sure some of them didn't do very good. And I'm sure some of them, are either probably not there or they're not still in those same positions that happens. But there's a lot of people that are there because they, they were friends with the young bucks and they got jobs because of the young bucks, I feel like the young bucks, it could be a potential that they feel an obligation to those people. If I leave, those guys don't have protection anymore. Right. And my wife doesn't have protection anymore. My wife could be on the chopping block. So now what happens if we go, do all these people get hired by WWE? Well, that's not the way WWE operates. WWE they're not gonna. Uh, they're not gonna hire your stooges. They're just. They just aren't. They're, they're. They want you. They want your brand. But the 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 folks that you bring around you are, is not going to 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 come with you. Well, that well, from what I understand is that their AEW deal right now is so at least with the Bucks and with you know Kenny Omega. I know their AEW deal. They're retired. They're good. The next deal is about. And this is how somebody backstage put it to me. Their next deal is about taking care of their kids. You know, yeah. all our colleges paid off and their retirement paid off. So that's what they're looking at. Um, and I think they're also looking for, you know, they want to cement their place in wrestling history. I think they already done that 10 times over. But mm-hmm. um, I also think that they're probably looking for some new matchups, something a little different. But the thing is, they can also have that in AEW. I mean, there's one thing Tony Khan has been able to do is he'll go out and get the guys he wants. And he's also changed things up dramatically sometimes from show to show if he feels the need um he they're not that won't be as pliable in wwe um i think it's interesting it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting choice i think you know a lot of the future of the business rides on what these guys decide to do and if i were then there's no way in heck i'd sign any deal to extend the contract before they become free agents i'd want to hear everything that that they're going to get thrown at them and who knows there may be a billion billionaire sitting out there somewhere he wants to jump into this 
Uh, so you, you know what I mean? So I was, and, and I'm not saying Freddie Prince Jr., but let's just say Freddie Prince Jr., right? Because he's a guy, not a billionaire, but he's a guy that probably has access to wealth, right? Um, yeah. Famous guy. His dad was super famous. His dad, I just watched the, um, if you guys have Paramount Plus, um, the Showtime and Paramount Plus are the same now. And so I watched a, a documentary on the comedy store and they did a deep dive into Freddie Prince. And I was like, and I knew about Freddie Prince, but I didn't really know just how famous he really was in the seventies. Guy was incredibly famous and a big, and a big time standup comedian. Um, and so he's like, you know, that Freddie Prince jr. He's super famous, got access to all his wealth. His wife is Sarah Michelle Geller, you know, Buffy the vampire slayer. So he's been saying he's going to start his own promotion. Now this is, I, this is not going to happen, but I'm like, maybe there could be another guy like a Tony Khan out there or like a Freddie Prinze. It's like, Hey, I got some scratch. You got all of the elite coming to coming do at the same time. Oh, and guess what? In January or February, Will Ospreay's contract is due. Oh, guess what? Drew McIntyre's contract's coming up too. Yeah. Who else in WWE has got a contract coming up? Oh, and then in impact, their contracts are only six months at a time. I could take half that promotion by the end of the year. Right. And yep. then you, then you, then you really got something. Yeah. The uh, thing is, is people are going to say, you know, the money's not out there, but people forget just how huge wrestling was for a lot of people that's in, that's in their thirties and forties that are in these high positions. That's, I mean, that's how MJF and Chris Jericho won a best of the year award from the New York times. I mean, that never mm -hmm. happens in any other decade, but to the, many of the people that are 30s and 40s that are in a high echelons of journalism or finance, they grew up with these shows. Um, they grew up. They don't have the stigma to them that, you know, was previous. So like Tony Khan is like the ultimately the ultimate example of that. But also, you know, there's no telling that there's not some other people out there who would have interest in doing, especially after seeing the success Tony's had. Um, especially, mm -hmm. seeing, you know, you know, the, the cutting that, you know, scripted television is getting in favor of, you know, something like dynamite, um, which could be getting a billion dollar anywhere. You know, I think it's gonna be about a half billion, but they're talking about a, you know, maybe a billion dollar TV deal at some point. But um, yeah, I, I, there's no telling there might be somebody else out there, but I just think that, um, you know, I, I think it's a, I think is the business is just doing really well right now. Um, and, and, and I think for Omega and the bucks, it's like, if you're going to make that move to WWE, this is a good time to do it. And I think that if uh, they want to stay with AEW, I think they have a lot of leverage there. You know, they may not, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think they're going to get CM Punk canned, but it doesn't mean they're not going to get anything, everything else that they want. And I don't even know if they want Punk canned necessarily. Um, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think the, I don't think the um, hate there is as thick as people want to believe. But um, I do say, I do think that um, eventually you're going to see, you know, when they make that decision, I think it's going to be the, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be seismic when they, when they just make the decision what they're, where they're going to end up going. Yeah. And one, one thing that adds a little bit to their leverage and it adds leverage to WWE. It adds leverage to AEW. It adds leverage to anybody that's seeking television money is the longer this strike goes on in Hollywood with the writers and now the streaming actors guild, I think, um, I think TV companies and streaming companies are going to start looking into more, uh, you know, non-union entertainment, which is exactly what pro wrestling is. Cause you, you've had strikes in the NFL. You've had strikes in baseball. There's been strikes in NBA, um, NHL, all of it. They, they, you know, they never really lasted all that long, but those are very probable situations to happen again, but pro wrestling and mixed martial arts and boxing, never going to get a strike. It just isn't going to happen because those are all individualized sports and none of them care about each other. They all want to get the best money that they can for themselves. And that's it. So there won't be any collective bargaining. You're not going to have to worry about them ever unionizing. Jesse Ventura is gone. He's not going to try that anymore. I think they should unionize, but they never will because they can never get it together. So I think the TV uh, corporations are going to find pro wrestling to be a bit more valuable now than they once were. Yeah. Uh, it that the writer strike definitely helps them. So the same with the actor strike. I mean, there's just, I don't think people realize just how big the differences are right between the writers and actors in the studios right now. And, um, and it's, I'm going to compliment the, the young bucks and BTE Ryan Nemeth, who, you know, obviously he's a member of the screen actors guild. He's been, he's been on the, uh, he's been on the picket lines out in LA with the writers and the actors for months on BTE interviewing him, talking to him and, 
I mean, there's been some really notable writers that's popped up that he's talked to. He's got he's had some of the best strike coverage that I've seen. <laughs> I'm just like, I didn't expect that out of the Hollywood hunk, but you know, maybe he's got a journalism future there. But um, but it's this, you know, this is something that's gonna go on for a while. I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's gonna be over before the end of the year. Um and there's just too much at stake for both sides. And uh, the studios have made some really bad decisions towards streaming, and you also have a uh, you have little to no reason for the actors and writers to want to settle for what they're getting right now, which is pennies on a dollar or micro, you know, even decimals of pennies on a dollar. And um, I just think it's going to be an ongoing thing. And that plays into the TV deals, you know, especially for WWE is going to be coming up next year. And same, same with AEW. Um, I think there might be more bidders for them coming in, uh, you know, when their deals are up than probably normally would have happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something really big happened over the weekend. Um, so I watched Slammiversary. Uh, you know, I used to have an Impact podcast, and I, I got the opportunity to to cover that, and I did a live show with uh, my friend BQ over on the Impact Lounge. Um, so everybody go out of the way to check that out on YouTube. And before we get into our next topic, each week in the month of July, we're putting out free episodes of our premium content over patreon.com slash Media. Last week, JD and I published part one of our deep dive into the WCW invasion of WWF in 2001, chronicling, chronicling from the sale of WCW beginning in January through the invasion pay-per-view in July. And then next month, we're going to next month, sorry, we will record part two featuring uh, the invasion pay-per-view fallout through survivor series, 2001. Also out there is uh, JD. He published an article um, via voices of wrestling um, discussing storytelling and wrestling overall, the differences between the different types of stories. Kind of, he really got granular on it. It was a very well written article, of course, because it's JD. Um, and then he did a deep dive kind of into the bloodline. And then on top of that, as a companion piece, uh, we were on Garrett's show just last Friday night on Fight Game uh, Fight Game Podcast Extra right here on on our YouTube channel, uh, the Fight Game Media YouTube, and we discussed the same thing. We discussed the uh, storytelling and pro wrestling. And we really went into bloodline and talking about why it works so well. Um, and and our we gave our opinions on that. Now back to back to impact. So um so I watched Slammiversary, and um, the morning of Slammiversary, Sean Ross Sapp was teasing a story that was supposed to come out. Um, it had something to do with impact and saying that it was going to get a ton of people talking. And I was like, what could it possibly be? And I was thinking maybe it was going to be a surprise, right? A surprise debut. Well, it turned out that it was a surprise. Um, and it was, you know, not the biggest superstar surprise, but it was Eric young. Eric young had returned to impact. Eric young had left impact. You know, they murdered him on television, but you never saw the body. So he wasn't actually dead. Um, and he went, he went seemingly to WWE uh, in November of last year, but he never showed up on television. And the story that was being told, and I, I, I heard about this and I, I believe it, um, that Sean Ross app that he told Sean Ross app. And he's actually told Denise Salcedo. And he's done some other interviews out there that he, um, he quit WWE. He asked for his release in April because he could not morally work for Vince McMahon. Um, and I think everybody can guess why those reasons are. I heard um, through uh, through a friend of mine this kind of plugged in that it was it very much had everything to do with the allegations that were levied upon Vince from the last couple of years. So we can we can leave it at that. But he said he just can't like morally, creatively, per personally, and professionally, he just could not work for Vince McMahon. And April is when Vince basically took his job back over full time. They merged with the UFC. They did the whole thing. So Vince is back in the saddle. So Eric Young left a lot of money on the table. He had like a nine month paid vacation because he never brought him into work. So he's sitting home collecting a paycheck. But because that paycheck was written by Vince McMahon, he said, I can't take the money anymore. And he, got his release and he went back home to impact man. And you know what? I think that's a profile and moral courage because a lot of people have morals and tell those are paycheck involved. And once that paycheck is involved, they no longer have the same morals that they used to have. You know, a lot of times people are confronted with, you know, what's more important to me, money or dignity. And a lot of times they choose money. Well, Eric young chose dignity this time. And I got to praise him for that. So kudos to Eric. Young. Yeah. I was surprised that he, you know, being somebody that really covered the old school, early, you know, late nineties, early two thousand side of the business. And, you know, who brought up to speed by a lot of guys who wrestled in the sixties and seventies and eighties. I, I mean, this was not a decision you would have ever seen 
I mean, they wouldn't have cared about, you know, the character of the company or anything like that. And I think it's really refreshing to see what Eric did. Um, I mean, the, the allegations that are relatively to Vince is the stuff he's paid millions and millions of dollars for to, you know, to settle in courtrooms and things like that. And it's also cost him a lot of free agent talent. Uh, you know, some guys that are big names in AEW were really close to going to, going to um, you know, one guy in particular, you know, he was really close to going to uh, WWE and just week he came back, he switched his, um, changed his mind. But, um, but it's just, to me, I think you're going to see more decisions like this, especially on the women's side of the roster, because of the nature of the allegations. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a wholesale flood of people leaving unless more things come out, which kind of surprises me that he's, you know, the Endeavor sale went forward like he is because they must be, they must be pretty fairly certain there's nothing else out there left. But um, I do think that um, you, you might see some women leave on the women's side. I don't know, but um, I don't think it's going to be a wholesale, you know, everyone's gone. You know, you open the doors and it's like, uh, you know, it's like the AWA back in 83. <laughs> There's somebody left. <laughs> uh, but um, I think that uh, I think it's going to be an impact there. I think it's something that um, it's going to be something Vince is going to have to deal with. I think I also think this tells you a lot about the current generation of wrestlers, what Eric Young did. I, I don't think he's not the only guys thinking like this. And I think it for him to make this decision, especially after it seemingly is cooled off, you don't hear people talking about this story like they did. Uh, I think it says a lot about him as an individual. And I'm glad he made that decision for himself. I'm glad he did it. I can also understand why some people wouldn't. Um, you yeah. know, you got to live and, you know, you got to eat and you got to have. And, and there's only two big companies in the world right now. And you're not guaranteed success jumping from one to the other. And uh, so to make that kind of a make that kind of decision, I think, is very admirable admirable yeah yeah i i think so too and I, I mean i'm sure i'm sure his coach scott demore who was the president of impact is probably paying him pretty decently but he's not gonna be able to pay him wwe money they just don't have those kind of resources so um yeah kudos to him um also coming out of slammiversary nick aldis he was in the main event um and then he ended up wrestling at the tapings that weekend and uh he they have announced that or it's not announced but um, it came out through PW Insider that Nick Aldis is actually leaving the company. There's rumors that there's some WWE interest there. Um, there's also rumor that they might be interested in him as a um, as an agent. I, you know, like Nick Aldis for the modern era is not exactly like a hot commodity, I would say. But I I think Aldis could work as a as a wrestler on television for them. Like. I, I would say in the ring, he's better than Eli Drake. He doesn't have the Eli Drake gimmick. The only thing they like about him is he says, yeah. You know, I, I think Aldis is a better promo than Eli Drake. Or what's his name now? L.A. Knight. I'm sorry, L.A. Knight. Um, I, 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 I think there's something that can be done with Aldis if he were to make a run in WWE. I mean, look at Dominic Mysterio. I mean, he's not exactly the greatest ring worker in the world. He doesn't have the best size, but he just he's magnetic with the crowd. Um, yeah. people pay a lot of money to watch him get beat, you know, and they pay a lot of money just to watch him. And, and Nick Aldis is a great promo. He really did a lot of work till to help, you know, bring the NWA title back. Um, unfortunately I wasn't able to be sustained, but, um, you know, he's a good promo. He's a very good promo. He's a very good heel. You know, he's got a great look. I, I think he could definitely work in WWE as a wrestler. I, I think as an agent, it'd be interesting to see. I think he'd be great at a lot of the basics, a lot of things like that. He's not a very, you know, his style is very much old school. Um, it's very WWE style, uh, main event, bigger guy style. Um, I'm not sure he's got, you know, he's not much of a contemporary kind of guy like you see. Um, maybe more like a, you know, a Chris Hero would be or yeah. a, a Dutt. But, um to me, I think that, um, you know, I think he'd be a very valuable asset to them if he were to pick him up. I, you know, I've liked it. I've, I've liked watching Nick for a while. I think he's got a lot of charisma. And, I, you know, it'd be a shame to see him go off TV, I think, just yet. I'd like to see him. I think he could have still, still could have done a lot of good work and impact. I think he could do a yeah. lot of Rev Pro. Um, I think there's still future out there if he wants to keep wrestling. Um, but, um, you know, some of these guys are getting up there. You know, it's like, how much longer is Ibushi going to want to do this? How much longer is Omega want to do this? How much longer is, you know, a lot of guys? And, um, you know, maybe for him, it's, he's going to hit that point. But, uh, yeah, he'd definitely be an asset to WWE, um, I think, either backstage or, you know, he's an, I think I could see him as being a guy in NXT. He's kind of an upper mid card who could really, you know, bring the heel heat when he needs to and be a good guy who can, you know, fill a few of your roles there. 
Yeah. I, you know, his only value to impact I felt was going to be as the world champion, as the heel world champion, um, and trading that title back and forth as one of the top guys. I just don't think they wanted him to be that. They only signed him to a three month deal. Um, yeah. He came in at Rebellion in April and then he was gone by July. And so I think, and they signed him right as Josh Alexander got hurt. And Josh Alexander ended up returning after that main event. So it kind of tells you why they brought in Nick Aldis is because Josh Alexander got hurt. So the hey, we got a main eventer here who's a free agent. We'll bring him in on a short-term deal. Um, but Ale- Alexander had tore his tricep. He's back in three or four months time frame, which is pretty incredible. That's usually a six-month healing time. Um, yeah. Not only that, he has taken over Scott Demore's wrestling school, the Can-Am Dojo that's produced a ton of guys, the Motor City Machine Guns, uh, not Eric Young, but um, Bobby Roode, Joe Doring, uh, Kushida went through there. A lot of guys have gone through that. Moose went through that dojo. So um, he is now the head coach. He is in Windsor full time. He said he's going to be traveling out of Detroit to make it easier for bookers to um, to to bring him in um, these indie indie promotions to be able to bring him in. So uh, I think that's a cool deal. And that also tells me that uh, Josh Alexander is probably an impact lifer going forward. Yeah, I I think he's happy there. I think AEW had a lot of interest in him at one point, but he just he seems to be happy there. I think he likes working with Scott. Obviously, they got a close relationship, but um, you know, Nick was kind of like a you know you, the contract's so short and everything. He's kind of like a waiver wire wa- waiver wire pickup. Like he's mm-hmm. well, it's like oh, we need a fifth receiver, we need a fourth receiver. You know, I mean, Nick's probably a little bit Nick's better than that, but um, he was a good pickup for them for a while. But I think oh. John- or or like in a in, in baseball, somebody you get right at the trade deadline that's contracts running out at the end of the season, right? You pick them up for the playoffs. Get a third starter for the playoff rotation. Yeah, that was Nick. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, he, you know, maybe Nick can keep that, make that his uh, career model from now on, being the guy to come in. But uh, but I, I think Alexander's a great talent. I always enjoyed watching him a lot. Um, but, you know, I think it's good news that he's in the be working with the wrestling school and taking that over it. I think there's just not a, I, I'm really concerned about the future training and wrestling business. I don't think mm-hmm. any successful as I like, I think AEW has a very solid brain trust. I think that's where they've invested well and done a lot of good things. Um, New Japan dojo is great, but it's like, you, you know, this only, you know, nightmare factory is really good. Um, but it's like, uh, I mean, I think with the popularity of the business right now, you're going to have a lot of, you know, uh, uh, McDojo's open up as they would call it in the jujitsu world. And, um, hopefully, you know, we can keep guys like Josh out there teaching people and, you know, keeping the wisdom going. But, um, to me, that's a big concern. Just, you know, make it, I just seen a lot of, I remember the indie days back in early 2000s. I don't want to see it like it was again, where guys were garage <laughs> and, you know, they got, oh, they did, they wrestled one dark match in 1970 for a company you never heard of, you know, and then they're mm-hmm. taking, money and all this other stuff I, i'm hoping that uh you know we, we'll see more legitimacy coming forward i mean i think it's been that way over the last several years hopefully it keeps going that way yeah hopefully and i you know i think josh alexander has a lot to offer because uh, he's seen the dark side of the business he's had a really successful run since he's been an impact and um and this could be a place for impact uh kind of like a a a um a farm system for them that can kind of grow talent really- through this can-am dojo you know what I mean? Um, and that, and that's been a pretty six day. Like Demore has a very successful track record of producing great talent. So um, I, I, I think that's a, a, a win-win for everybody in that company. Um, real quick. We, we only have a couple topics left and then we're going to go ahead and call it a day. Um, just um, Brian Danielson had surgery. He's got like nine screws in his arm. So who knows when the hell that guy's going to be back. But did you see the x-rays, man? That thing was scary. I, I can't believe he wrestled 10 minutes with that. I mean, they thought it was a slight fracture. I mean, the thing was like, Here's the one. Photo. Here's the other one. You know, uh, I and nine screws in a plate. I he, he's not going to be back for Wembley. If he does, he's probably going to have uh, ten rolls of styrofoam around his arm. Um, yeah. I, I, but it's Brian Danielson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out. But um, you know that's the big question. He's wanting to wrestle all in and Wembley. I I just doubt it's going to happen. But I don't know. It's, it's Danielson. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he'll be back eventually, but I don't think he's going to be back for all in or all out because that, that looked pretty tough. I don't think um, at least not by, you know, not in the fall. No, no. Um, so MJF and Adam Cole, man, they got this the whole deal over, didn't they? Like I 
honestly, like I was telling JD last week, I was like, JD, dude, I'm just not interested in this whole thing. Like, I, it's kind of campy, it's stupid. And then I watched them last night. It's like, damn it, they got me. The thing is over. It's working. And now I'm like, now I don't want them to break up. <laughs> That's everybody's reaction to this. It's like uh, they they've really been sucked into it. You know, they really have gone campy with it in a lot of ways. Like the whole dance off. Sammy Guevara looked like he wanted to hang himself and then doing that. <laughs> like I'm out here wanting to put on five star matches and I'm out here dancing the cha cha with Daniel Garcia, you know. Um, but it's really worked. And, you know, I got people, you know, everybody I'm talking to about it, they're, they're, you can't get enough of these two guys. Um, they really got great chemistry. And um, I, I've even had people say, man, if there's somebody that turns, I hope it's Cole that goes heel. You know, they want to see yeah. F be the good. I think there's a real people are ready to see him maybe be the baby face. I don't know. I think that's what a part of this part of the love for this. At. But I also think it's just two guys that, you know, they, they make a good they got a lot of good chemistry together. And um, yeah, I, I think they can need to run with it. I mean, let it go. Yeah. You don't need to. I mean, don't you don't have to take this into a, one of those deals where the tag team and they're happy for a month or two and then you break them up. I mean, they just won the tournament. They're challenging FTR. Um you know, to keep it going for a while, you know, I mean, write it out. And I think it's, you know, Tony's usually done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, he's often had a problem, you know, finishing angles up, but, um, you know, as far as taking advantage of something that's hot, hopefully he keeps that in mind. I mean, I just don't want to see, you know, MJF seems to really hate, you know, getting away from the heel too far. And um, hopefully he's kind of seen their caught lightning in a bottle here. And um, mm -hmm. the way that match in the tag tournament final with, um, with him and Cole versus uh, Garcia and Guevara shipped up and the way they, it was just so sports entertainment. It was so campy, but it was so good to put before the brawl out, the blood and guts match. And um, to have that before the blood and guts match, I thought it would just work so great with the crowd because they weren't going to get ate up by something that was high energy. You know, and it was great wrestling in that match, but it was just entertaining. It was something completely different what they were going to see in the cage in a, you know, 15 minutes from that. And I thought that was really the way it, the way that show was produced and they worked those together, I thought was a really good job by the crew there. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought I thought I thought everybody did a great job. Um, uh, so I lastly, um, I I just want to I want to mention real quick. So Claudia's opponent for Death Before Dishonor is going to be Pack. We already mentioned that. Um, Bullet Club versus FTR from last week. Um, I I think that was one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen on television. The best two out of three falls match from Collision. Um, I, I thought that was tremendous. So if everybody hasn't had the chance to watch that, I would rec highly, highly, highly recommend. I haven't been able to see it, and I'm dying to. I, I love oh, tag, man. tag matches, and I haven't been able to see it. I'm a huge fan of Juice Williams, too. Like, I'm probably the biggest Juice Williams booster there is. Same with Jay White. Um, I love both those guys. and um, But I can't wait uh, <laughs> for a way to record it. Oh, man. Yeah. BJ, but, BJ, you're, you're a big fan of Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson would be his name. Juice Robinson. <laughs> quarterback yeah juice yeah yeah well uh juice <laughs> ever since the uh his days with the u.s title over iwgp you know over yeah. the iwgp u.s title you know when he got in a good promo streak there when he bust his hand in the match I and mean, the guy just has a lot of charisma and i thought you know i thought he's done a lot i think he's a lot better at his ring work than people give him credit for um and uh you can tell i've had a lot of concussions in my life because you know i can't keep big 10 quarterbacks from t 10 years from uh, pro wrestlers but um yeah. but yeah uh you know everything i've heard about the match it's must watch i think ftr deserves a lot of credit man they've had a roll of just amazing tag matches they're, six to nine months they're they're inching close to being my favorite tag team of all time they they really are they're that they're that freaking good i just i, I love them um so uh lastly i just wanted to bring up um dominic mysterio uh dirty dom the demo god um, he, he won the NXT North American title this week. And, um, so since, so when JD's here, we, we don't talk about ratings anymore because the ratings are fake. Um, um, we also don't talk about Bruno for anybody that's ever seen that movie, but we don't talk about ratings. Um, and the, uh, but since he's gone, I'm going to talk about the ratings cause JD's not here to complain about it. So the episode averaged 746,000 viewers and it was a 0.21 in the demo the main event with Dominic Mysterio drew 844,000 viewers. And before War Games, that was the higher, um, that had more viewers than every Dynamite from the previous month. 
right? The last Dynamite that had actually beat it was Starks versus Jay White that had 845K. So main event Dom, Demo God Dom. Um, he, I, I always say, I like to say, because he gets people unreasonably upset when you say that Dominic is better than a hook. Because for some reason, this hook kid comes out of nowhere, doesn't say a damn thing. He's got this haircut that looks like he's about to start singing, Hey There, Delilah. Um, and then all of a sudden, I'm supposed to care about this guy because he plays lacrosse. Um, and he's Taz's kid. Taz, who says, hit him in the yam bag. I don't care about him. But uh, I, I think people get unreasonably upset whenever you say Dominic is better than Hook. Well, there, there, there's some proof right there that Dominic's better than Hook. I, I like Hook a lot, mainly because he, <laughs> yeah. he's I mean, pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I was better shape. I did a lot, but uh, but I I will say this: uh, rating draws for WWE. I would say the three tops are probably Cody, definitely Roman, Cody, and Dominic. Maybe Dominic above Cody at this point. Uh, people love to hate him. I mean, the reactions he got at Mania were insane. Um, yeah. it, it's it's you see what he's done in just a few short years. It's like, if he gets it together in the ring, this is a guy who can, you know, I, I don't know if it's just, a, I don't know. It's just, he, he just hit lightning in the bottom. It's like Suzuki was talking about John Moxley months ago. And he talks about the problem is you got guys that are perfect wrestlers. He goes, the great thing about Moxley is he's a crappy wrestler. He doesn't mean he's bad at it. It's just, he's got flaws. He's got humanity. He brings things like that. And Suzuki kind of described himself the same way. And that's kind of what Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio is. He's got a ton of flaws. You know, he's like mm-hmm. a human character there. And there's a lot you can relate to. And, you know, you got so many guys that come out. They got the same look. You know, they've been in the gym forever. They can all do a 450 splash and a, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix, you know, whatever the hell, you know, the move of the week is off the top rope. You know, the 630 senton, all this stuff. You know, they can do all the cool stuff that, you know, everybody else was doing in PWG 15 years ago. But uh, it's just Dominic's just a raw, you know, very – you know, very relatable character and somebody you people love to hate. And to me, it's just, you know, it's watching him. It's, it's been interesting. Um, to me, I think that um, I, I, if he can get it together in a ring, I, I think he's really got a good future ahead of him. Um, but I don't think he's going to be able to keep this going long-term unless he figures this out where, because it's just, I think the expectations of the audience are you got to be able to, go four stars or so, you know, now yeah. they don't even know what four stars are, but you can see in a match the way somebody works. Okay. They're keeping up or they're not. Um, and I think that he, he keeps doing the work. He keeps doing it. Um, you know, the, the stuff where, you know, he, he keeps putting it in and realize he hasn't made it yet. I don't want him to be, if he's not satisfied with himself quite yet, you know, he's got some ways that he can, he can, he's got some room to keep really going and he's the future for him could be something else. But um, I just, it just, yeah, he's third highest rating draw in WWE right now. Maybe even all the wrestling, you know? Yeah. You know, he, um, he, it really is remarkable how far he's come since he debuted I mean, a few years ago. Would you pick him over CM Punk to headline a pay-per-view right now or to headline a TV show on a Wednesday or a Thursday night or a Wednesday would, or, would, or a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Right. Yeah. I, I would take Punk. I, I would take Punk. Yeah. Because <laughs> like 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 you said, um, I, I think I think with Dominic and and you know and like and I'll say to an extent like Jungle Boy and to Hook, I think their respective audiences like to just be a part of what that company is building, right? And so the audience, the the announcers are telling everybody that that Hook is cool and you should think he's cool too. So I just feel like the audience is just kind of playing along there, and I think they're doing the same thing with with Dominic too. Like Dominic's such a funny heel that like a lot of it is like the audience are being a part of the show whenever they shout him down and they boo him. It's not like callous heat. Like Don Callis has like true legitimate. Oh, like we can't stand this guy heat. Right. Yeah, he like got, so much heat that he got. It. He hasn't been able to deliver a promo in front of an AEW live audience since he, you know, turned on Omega. Yeah. He's got insane. Yeah. yeah but I, I, I think, I think Dominic has heat, but he doesn't get anymore, but and I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, 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 you're fine. I, I think that, I think that Dominic has some heat, but I think a lot of the heat is like, they like to be a part of it. Like they see something building with Dominic and they like to be a part of it. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Um, I just don't think that he has the same level of heat as Don Callis. I think they're just separate that in that way. Um, a very different type of heat. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think that as far as character goes, 
Um, I, you know, Dominic in that lead up to WrestleMania with the whole prison thing and like him spending one night in prison, he was prison Dom, he was getting prison tattoos. Like I was talking with John Muse and me and him were batting ideas like back and forth. Like I said that at one point Dominic should like use one of those mirrors on a stick and like look out his dressing room door to see if anybody's coming. You know what I mean? Like there, there were so many things you could have done with that character. It was so funny, so entertaining. I thought he did such a poster on a wall. Yeah locker room and a homemade chess set yeah or you know if he had like a little bird inside of his pocket like in shawshank redemption and uh and they also had that in escape from alcatraz too the, the eastwood movie back in the 80s yeah. so um which shawshank actually ripped off quite a bit honestly the movie <laughs> they, they, they ripped off quite a bit but so i i felt like they could have done something with that i just think that ever like the fans they don't actually hate dom they just think that he's a great heel and he, that's what he is he's a, he's a really good fun entertaining right. heel yeah, a, a modern, a good, fun, modern heel that the people want to that the people want to come to the arena and boo, and um, and he's done a, he's done a fantastic job. I don't think he's there as far as um, you know, being a top like money draw. You know what I mean? But I I think that um, him in NXT is very interesting. I think he needs more reps in the ring, and I think the more he wrestles with guys that are better than him which is just about everybody in the company um, on the, on, on that male side, as far as in the ring goes, but, but that's a good thing. He needs to get those reps. He needs to get that exposure. He needs to get in there and get after it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think that's, you know, a good spot for him. I, I do think they need to really take an eye at him and just think, okay, we how do we make this guy better? And how we teach, how we, how do we train him on the road? And uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, that's kind of what they're doing with hook right now. Um, he's much, much greener than people think. Um, and he was basically wrestling with at all these AEW house shows. This is one of my kids went to, I had to work and I have to thank my wife for uh, taking the kids when, you know, she hates pro wrestling, but, uh, <laughs> I hope wrestled Ethan page for like 10, 15 minutes. Look really green, but Ethan page has basically been schooling him and he's at house shows, you know, teaching yeah. him other ways, you know, you know, basically learning in the ring, learning as he goes. He's got a lot of talent. I, I mean, I have to disagree with him. Hook. I think it was, I think a build up with him was just a lot of it just had to do with his uh, team task stuff to do the quiet guy standing in the corner. He's got the douchebag high school jock look, you know, mm-hmm. there's much about him. You know, he's got a cool, he's got the cool busy look to him. He's just got also, just, there's a lot of things you can just draw from this guy just because based on his look on camera. And I think that, you know, that he had a kind of a cult following online, but, um, but, you know, it's, he's also, I think he's a different mysterious in that regard, too. You know, you know, he hasn't attacked Taz yet, which probably would end up with him getting killed. But, um, you know, turning on, I mean, how, how do you turn on Rey Mysterio? You know, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. they built really well off that. Yeah. 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 No. And, and I, I like to just tease the, the hook fans because when he came, when he came out and everybody's like, oh my God, put the title on hook. Hook is the greatest. Hook hasn't even had 40 matches yet. He's been around two years. Hasn't no. even had 40 matches yet. Um, he needs to work independence. He needs well, he to. Like, he was just like a storyline thing. And because yeah, as and couldn't go to school, they needed somebody to hang out with. You know, they just had him on TV. You know, he's yeah. an athlete. He, he knows he knows his judo. Um, you know, he's an amazing athlete. Um, I mean, the throws he's doing in that ring are legit. Um, yeah. he, he's he's a you know he gets the stuff down he's gonna be somebody they can you know run with but he's just very 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 green and he knows that mm-hmm. too um that's probably why you saw jungle boy taking the ftw belt off of him just to you know keep his heat going but um he's gonna be a project for a while and um you know but i think that's the smart thing with him it was, with dom it's a little bit more complicated because they got him involved with the stable they got him involved um you know obviously he's holding the a big title on NXT TV right now. Um, he was wrestling in the main event of that show. Um, you know, it's a different situation, but, um, you know, it's nice to see guys. It's nice to see the company seeing lightning in a bottle and taking a chance at it when they can. I, I mean, it's 15 yeah. years, even, you know, even some points in the nineties, you've never seen this, you know, guys mm-hmm. come out super hot and then just for no reason, he wouldn't be on TV again for six months. And I'm glad to see that, you know, the companies are recognizing, Hey, the crowd loves this guy. They hate this guy. We're going to put him out there. And uh, yeah, I got another thing about Don Callis. I really got a hand for that guy. I have not, you know, people say there's no, I mean, the kill me heat days are over, but I mean, he can barely talk in the ring when he gets out there. You know, he just had got a legit attack in AAA. <laughs> the most hated guy I've seen in years in pro wrestling. 
Um, I mean, everybody knows it's a work now, but man, they still hate the guy. And not, uh, not in Mexico, not in Mexico. They don't, they don't think it's a work apparently. Cause uh, he got, he got attacked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, apparently down there, it's still the, it's still the deal, but, uh, wow. Just an incredible, you know, just the callous is a talented talker and, uh, you know, he's, he comes off as the car salesman from hell and, uh, you know, he's put it to good use. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he definitely is like kind of a smarmy car salesman and he knows how to play off of that. Well, he's a super talented guy. Um, and he's, he's, he's done a great job. Um, but, uh, Hey, Hey BJ, man, what, what do you, you got any, uh, any projects coming out, man? What you got working for SE scoops is coming down big. Uh, well, I got one going out soon. Uh, we got a Ronda Rousey career retrospective I'm working on. Um, basically, we're going to look over his wrestler, her wrestling career, also get in a little bit of her Olympic judo career, some of her previous life or her life before judo and um, how she got into MMA, things like that, and kind of looking over her, her, you know, her wrestling kind of uh, what she's her wrestling legacy up to this point. And there's a lot of talk that SummerSlam she's not coming back. Um, I know she's at least taking a long break. I don't, I personally don't think she's going to, we're going to see her back, but, um, you know, I, I think her wrestling career speaks better than people have given her credit for. Also, um, we're going to be looking at with SummerSlam in Detroit. I'm also going to be writing a story on the uh, history of pro wrestling in Detroit. Um, oh, nice. That area. Um, a big time wrestling was out of there. As somebody you mentioned earlier, the Sheik, that was his uh, area. Uh, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, they're out of Battle Creek. Um, that was a very big big uh, big time promotion for a lot of years and when it and when it um kind of went to bed in the 70s um it led to a huge major wrestling war right here in the area where i live um to fill that gap um between the awa georgia um in atlantic wwe pittsburgh a lot of areas and um it's it's, it's an interesting area of the world that uh you know the steiners come out of that area just a real treasure trove of talent a lot of different talent um, you know, generationally, a lot of great talent just through the years. And, um, yeah, we'll have that up there on soon next week or so. That's cool, man. Well, I'm really looking forward to reading that. Um, and, uh, like I said, everybody head over to patreoncom slash fight game media. Um, we still have free shows coming out each week in, uh, in the month of July. And then of course, next month in August, part two of the WCW invasion of the WWF with uh, JD and myself. And until next week, mahalo. Uh, 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 hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.